you. Thanks, Liam. Um, I'm actually like vibrating right now, so <laughs> that's an accurate summary of who I am as a person. Um, and I've not even had coffee, so it must be the Lord. Um, thank you, yes. Liam, obviously, I heard he smashed it last week. Did he not smash it last week? Um, I heard you baptized the floor. <laughs> All right, I will not do the same. Um, and I am very honored to be here. Last week, yes, I woke up and I had a fever and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't swallow and neither of that is good for getting up and preaching. So I was amazed that you were able to do it, but not surprised. So thanks, Liam. Um, today we're going to talk about evangelism. I'll just give you a second to all like die inside a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a very small percentage of the room that are like very excited about this and most of them aren't even in the room. Um, Isaac's here. Where's Dean? Oh, he's in kids. Oh, they're all in kids. Okay. Um, yes, and the other half of you are probably nervously waiting to see where I'll go with this. Um, we're going after the fear of man. So I'm just going to put that out there. You've got however long I take to preach to get comfortable with that idea. Um, it's funny that Liam obviously felt the Lord on that earlier today. So that's a good confirmation that I am indeed hearing the Lord. Um, but yes, get comfortable, get cozy. I don't know how long this will go for because I did not record the time before, but we will see how we go. Um, let me just paint you an encouraging picture if you're uncomfortable with this idea of evangelism. Um, 16-year-old Hannah would not have considered any of this, her idea of a good time. Um, she, she used to want to be a lawyer, um, and then she realized that she would have to get up and speak in front of people for a job, and she didn't want to do that. She, did, she didn't want a career where she was paid to speak in front of people, so let's just have a laugh at that. Um, the Lord and his ways. Um, I even had a youth pastor when I was a teenager who um, came up and shared his story, and he said virtually the same thing, that he was called out of a very comfortable job, and the Lord asked him to be in ministry, and he had Hated that, but he got over it. And I distinctly remember sitting there being like, bummer for you, that's never going to happen to me. Um, <laughs> so here we are. The Lord has a sense of humor. Um, but Jesus, he's good. Um, all good stories start with a but Jesus, don't they? Um, I, it turns out I just needed someone um, worth, like someone who was worth dying for to get me to speak about someone who's worth living for. So here we are, we're doing it. Um, not only are we preaching, but we're preaching on evangelism. So let's just, yeah, laugh at that. Um, beautiful. I straight up just want to say, like, no one is disqualified in the kingdom of God. Um, I, yeah, we all have a role to play, as Liam said, no matter what age we're at, no matter what we're doing, no matter what our jobs are, um, we all get um, to do something in the kingdom. We all have gifts, we all have skills, we all have abilities. We don't all have a love of sharing or preaching or standing up in the street and declaring, you know, the gospel, and that's okay, um, but we all have a role to play in evangelism, and I just want to start out by saying that. Um, obviously, my role ideally would have been sitting one-on-one -on -one with coffee and gently talking about Jesus with people, but now it's different, and that's okay, um, but we all have something to do um, in the kingdom, something to do with expanding God's territory that he wants to be on earth. Amen. Beautiful. And if chances are, if you're scared about doing something like this, like that's what God wants to use you for. Um, often, yeah, the enemy will come in with fear to intimidate us, to shut us down. So the area that you're fearful of, intimidated about, like pay attention to that um, because you never know what God wants to do in that space, um, which is obviously my story. Now I love preaching, can I just say. Um, I love talking, and if someone gives me a microphone, I will use it. So um, I've always been like an avid communicator, um, but now if I get the opportunity to preach, I'm like, yes, I want to do it. Um, so 
There's hope for anyone who's unsure about that. Beautiful. Evangelism and I, we've had a love-hate relationship. Um, I always knew I was, like, I had to, <laughs> basically. Um, I always knew that, you know, you'd get the, like... Um, go out into all the world, heal the sick, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yep, I can do that. Um, I was trying to do that on my own strength, and I don't recommend that with anything in the kingdom of God. Um, but it didn't reap the rewards that I thought it would. It left me feeling stressed. I was overthinking interactions I'd had with people. I was confused. I, I, didn't le I haven't led anyone to the Lord. I was like, this is not working for me. Um, I was like passionate, and God uses passion. Um, but the last like year or so, he's been just speaking to me more about his heart for evangelism. And actually, when we step into his heart and we step into what he's already doing, we're going to be far more effective. We're going to be far more excited and motivated, and we're not going to burn out or be fearful. So I just want to share about the journey that the Lord's been leading me on with evangelism. Um, I have laughed. I have cried. Um, I've had moments of rather insane levels of courage. Um, and I've had moments also of letting fear win and letting myself be shut down. So wherever you're at with this, let's all just take a deep breath together. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Um, I also don't want to pretend to be the most qualified person to speak on evangelism in the room, although <laughs> none of them are here. Um, <laughs> so you'll have to listen to me. Um, that's right. They can't challenge anything. Um, but yes, over the last six months, um, God's been showing me more and more. So I'm not qualified, but I am passionate, and I am, I'll take that. Um, Beautiful. So we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures today on evangelism, and we're going to get more of a picture of God's heart to reach his people. Um, we're not going to make a biblical case on the why for evangelism, because as I said, the Bible's pretty much got that covered. Um, but I wanted to go through some scriptures to reveal the tools that God's given me um, to step out and to be bold and to challenge the fear and challenge the narrative um, and challenge the comfort zone. So first verse is John 3.16. We, um, we don't even have to go there because you probably all know it off by heart. I'd prefer it if we all said it together in the NIV. No, it doesn't matter. Say whatever you want. But let's go. For God so loved of the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that's good well done you're all real christians um this is this is probably one of the biggest evangelism verses in the bible i would say non-christians even know this verse um but the key thing that this verse is about is love for god so loved the world um, we are not to hate the world. I know you guys all know this because I'm in a church where I just feel hugged every single Sunday. Um, but Christians, you know, your friends at other churches, as Liam would say, um, Christians can get this wrong, right? We, we can get so, uh, we can get hurt, we can get discouraged, we can get um, bitter, and then we can end up hating the word. We can feel like we're enemies of the world. And in a sense, we are. We are to hate godlessness and ungodly behavior, obviously, and to hate what he hates. But we are not to hate the world. If Jesus didn't love the world, would he have come? I think not. Um, we are not to hide inside our churches, although that is comfortable. It is not the call. Um, while the world outside marches its way to hell. Um, I know you guys know this because we have outreach and we're doing the things. Um, but this is a revelation that I felt really gripped by. Um, I've always loved people and I've, I've navigated that tension of wanting people to be comfortable around me whilst also being able to give them the truth in love. We are to love the hell out of people. 
Without Jesus, hell is the default, right? Like, that's, that's the truth of it. It's uncomfortable, but Jesus preached on hell, so I'm, a, I'm okay to mention it. Um, but that's the truth. Like, all of us have been rescued from something, right? We were going one way, and now we're going another way. And without Jesus, the world is still going to go that way, and that's why we're here. Christians historically have used hell or fear as a motivator for evangelism, and I don't want to go down that road. Um, fear can be a very useful motivational tool. You know, we have the fear of the Lord and it like leads us into wisdom. It leads us into the right behavior. Um, but the devil uses fear all the time um, and we don't want to be engaging with trapping people or motivating people because um, they're afraid. We want them to be moved by love. So this verse, I think, reveals one of the most effective keys to evangelism, which is love. It's motivated Jesus to evangelize the world and it should be motivating us. The key is not the right words. The key is not being a perfect communicator. The key is not even bringing a miracle because often I felt that like, oh, I have to heal them or I have to give them a word of knowledge in order for them to know Jesus. No, they just have to feel loved. Get this, guys. This is not mine, but you can pretend it is. <laughs> in the old covenant, you were judged by how much your love for God made you hate your enemies. But in the new covenant, you are judged by how much your love for God translates into love for your enemies. Do I need to say that again or are we okay? Okay, I'm saying it again. I'm saying it again. In the old covenant, you were judged by how much your love for God made you hate your enemies. We see that in the Old Testament, right? But now in the new covenant, we are judged by how much our love for God translates into love for our enemies. Be a lover, guys. Be a lover. And love is not silent. Love talks. Um, this isn't mine either. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I once heard someone say, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is true, right? Because in this verse before, in this passage, Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can do anything you want for God, but you only have as much influence as you have love. Okay, next passage, Matthew 5. You guys can find this one because it's more than one verse. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Beautiful. Verse 13, chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So salt in the biblical times, well, and still nowadays, it brings flavor. Um, it was a preservative. 
It was added to the old covenant sacrifices, actually, um, that Moses was instructed to bring before the Lord. They all had to be seasoned with salt. Um, it represented judgment, so like Lot's wife. Um, and it was also used as a fertilizer. So if Jesus has called us to the salt of the earth, we are to be distinctly different. We have a specific purpose um, from that that we are called to reach, um, and it's for a purifying purpose. It's for a flavor and a preservative um, and to purify. Um, we are not to hide that which makes us different, basically. We have a distinct purpose to achieve. Um, we are not to be afraid to point to the one that ultimately will come to judge, which is real, um, because love does not delay in evil and rejoices with the truth. So we can't be afraid either of, of being honest with people about that will, there will come a day where they will be judged, and we need to be okay with that. We are created to reveal him and to bring flavor and seasoning and growth and purity and salt. Let's get salty. <laughs> if we lose our saltiness, we've lost our influence. Because if we're the same, how can we bring any, anything that's different? Being thrown out and trampled underfoot does not sound like a good time to me personally. And so I'm encouraged by this. And this is a big deal to Jesus, right? In the same way, he says we are to let our light shine before others to give him the glory. You are designed to be seen. You are made to be seen. Others are meant to see your light. They're meant to taste your salt. You aren't designed to hide away. I don't know whether you feel like you've been wandering around with a bowl on your head, literally or metaphorically, um, but Jesus says, take it off. Let's agree today that you weren't made to be covered. You weren't made to, for him to light you up just so that you could be pushed away or let somebody else shine. You were born to be seen. It's uncomfortable, yes. It's challenging, yes. You may find yourself preaching in front of people. You may find yourself on the streets. You may find yourself doing all kinds of crazy things, but it's what you were made for. We're designed to feel this clash between the worlds. We're designed to feel our saltiness, but to be okay with that. But we are to love. That's what we're called to do. We're called to love. It just can't be our first love. So let's go to Revelation 2, verses 4 to 5. So John here is writing out of encounter with Jesus um, to bring different churches into the fullness of what God has for them. And I'll read verses 4 and 5. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Here's another important key. Everything is supposed to come from our first love. And Jesus takes losing this deathly serious. We see the light analogy here again. Obviously, lampstands in the Bible were used to represent influence. They were used to represent what God had placed in us in order that we could be seen by others. And Jesus is saying if the church does not love him first and fails to do the things that we did when we first met him, we'll lose our right to influence those for the kingdom. This is super sobering and a little scary, but it's good. He's looking for a bride that has not forgotten the joy of their salvation. He's looking for those that he can trust with accurately representing him to the world. Evangelism was always designed to be an overflow of our first love. It's not striving. It's because we know who we are and we know who we are loved by and everything comes from that place. When we're faced with obeying God or with obeying the world, we have to be choosing our first love. When he calls you to step out, are there other things that we're consulting with before we say yes to him? 
I know there's been times when I've said yes to other things other than him, but our first love is what we must be burning for. And here's the good news. This love is not something that we muster up. It's not something that comes from within. It's something that he has given first to us. So 1 John, we're moving to, uh, specifically chapter 4. I'm just going to read verse 19 now and we'll do the rest in a sec. We love because he first loved us. The end, that's the sermon, no. It's so good. We love because he first loved us. All we ever do, all we can ever do is in response to his love for us. I looked up this term, first love, and the word first in the Greek is the word protos, and it means first in time and place, first in rank, first in influence. In summary, it means first. <laughs> it's a heavy revy for you. First in time and place. He got to you before anyone else did. He's your first love. His love for us has to be the primary influence in all that we do. But this love that we have this way, it has to translate this way. It can't just stay like this. We need to share it. This Revelation passage mentions the things we did at first, and honestly, I couldn't even remember what the things I did at first were, um, because I met Jesus. My parents are here. Where would you say I met Jesus? <laughs> Long time ago, that's correct. Um, <laughs> I would say the things I did at first are probably learning to walk <laughs> um, and sucking my thumb. So you can do them if you want. Um, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Um, but what I do remember is when I was about 14 um, and I encountered the presence of God for the first time. Whew, so beautiful. Um, I was young and he is my first love because he got to me before the world did. And I'm so grateful for that. To cry. Oh, Jesus. Um, and he just hit me and I was so young. And I just remember him getting to me before anything else did. And for the months after that, all I could do was talk about Jesus. I didn't want any... I was crying in worship, so this is not unexpected. Um, oh, I just didn't want any conversation that didn't eventually lead back to Jesus. And I don't recommend that because <laughs> my friends were getting bored of me. Um, but I was captivated, utterly captivated, and I was sold out for the one thing. And there's no other way to live. We can't. We can't afford to live any other way. This life is hard without Jesus. It's not, we're not designed to do it without Jesus. And I don't recommend being bored when your friends are trying to tell you stuff. Um, but what I do want to recommend is being sold out and completely captivated. It wasn't complicated for me when I was 14. I knew who I was because I knew who he was. And that was all I needed. That was my key. And so, church, I want to encourage you today. Like, what does the joy of your salvation look like? What were the things that you did at first? What was the, where was the captivated of your heart? What was it? Um, Liam preached on the woman at the well um, a few weeks ago. And this is a perfect picture of what evangelism is supposed to look like. She had all her past and her mess, but when she met Jesus and she knew who she was, she was sent out and evangelized her whole city. I think she was eventually martyred, so <laughs> I don't recommend that. But, um, <laughs> but she was captivated and she was willing to lay everything down, including her life. And we can't afford to live any other way. 
so we're going after the fear of man um, because I actually don't think it has to be complicated. I think you can be a sold-out 14-year-old who's losing her friends um, because you're passionate about the one thing. So we're still in 1 John 4, and I want to go to verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a million things to pull out of this passage. Um, every word is solid gold. It's basically a sermon in itself. Um, we've been building a theology of love as we've gone through today, and this basically makes my entire case for me. Um, but I'll pull out quickly a few verses as I really love, because um, we want to build this case for loving each other well. Verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. I love this because it takes the pressure right off. Our own love isn't good enough, and that's good news. That's why we have him. That's why we have his love flowing through us, which is never-ending. It's perfect, and it's totally unconditional. And that's what we're meant to be loving the world with. I also love verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You want to see God? Love his kids. And verse 17. In this world, we are like Jesus. We are salty and we are lit, but in a holy way. <laughs> also verse 20. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The more we fall in love with God, the more we're meant to be falling in love with other people. This is actually a biblically valid test of love. How well are we loving others? Even the two greatest commandments, love God 
love your neighbor. And now my favorite verse, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When I was preparing to go on a couple of big mission trips in March of this year, um, I was having some big conversations with the Lord about evangelism um, and the fear of man and all the things that I was navigating. Um, and in classic Jesus form, he gave me like a good one-liner that like just smashed all my excuses out of the park. Um, he sent me to this verse and he said, Hannah, if you love people, you will not fear them. If perfect love drives out fear, then if we love them, we cannot have the fear of man. They actually don't exist together. We can't have one and the other. One drives out the other. Either fear will drive out love or love will drive out fear. You get to pick. I went to um, some homeless missions in San Diego and let me tell you, there's a clash between love and fear um, when you're dealing with that. There was like needles on the ground. Um, this one guy tried to do this like weird spiritual thing with his hands. Not like the good kind of weird spiritual thing, the bad kind. Um, <laughs> I live in the good kind, but this was not it. Um, and he was like doing some weird curse thing and I, I had to choose. I was like, I'm going to love this man or I'm going to fear him and one of them's going to win. And I was like, well, it's going to be love. So then we stood there and we prayed with him and we chatted with him and his hands were still doing the thing, but I was like, I'm pretty protected by the most high. I was like, no one gets to touch me. It doesn't matter. And we got to love him and bless him. And we met a lot of people who were stuck in mess, who were hurting, who were broken, who needed real love, basically. That's the essence of it, right? They needed love. And so we were able to give that to them. Um, one of my team members baptized someone with a water bottle. So <laughs> that was fun. Um, but it's either one or the other. You can't have both. If we're going to missions, if we're going out into the streets, if we're going into Woolworths, we need to have love and we can't afford fear. He loves us perfectly, and if we love because he first loved us, then it's actually more natural for us to have love than it is natural for us to have fear. This is our default. Love is our default. Song of Songs 2.4, his banner over us is love. We don't live any other way. We don't have to live any other way. The book of 1 John was written to people who were literally facing death and punishment um, because of their faith. They were in fear because they anticipated this. And still, he writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's a passage that also speaks to how our relationship with Jesus is supposed to work as well. We aren't to have a relationship with him where we expect to be punished if we don't obey. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We are to have a relationship with Jesus where we are so compelled by our love for him that we can't help but obey when he asks us to love his people. Not because we expect punishment or because we're fearful, but because of love. Um, and this is my favorite story. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're on one of the mission trips in America in March. Um, and we got on a plane. <laughs> um, and the guy behind me, everyone was like talking and joking with him. They're like, oh, mate, you should preach on the plane. And he was like, absolutely not. We were like, no, nah, mate, you should. Um, and he was like, I won't do it. And I was like, well, someone has to. <laughs> I was like, we're on this plane. We weren't moving because there was like delays in something. And I was like, these people don't even, like no one's told them today Jesus loves them probably. I was like, someone has to. <laughs> I was possessed by Jesus and I was gripped by love. I looked around at these people on this plane and I was like, someone has to tell them. And I was like burning up and I was like, oh no. <laughs> 
So I got up and I was like shaky as, um, and I walked over to the flight attendant and I was like, hi. <laughs> I was like, my name's Hannah, like we're on a missions trip. We've just spent like a week loving people, seeing lots of healings and stuff. Like, is it okay if I share a short message with the people on the plane? And she was like, yeah, that should be all right. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. She's like, I'll just go check with the captain because I want to make sure that's all right with him and then you can use the like mic thing. And I was like, all right. Um, <laughs> shaky shaky but it's love or it's fear you can't have both so I was like all right um anyway bless the lord maybe not the captain came back and said I wasn't allowed to um which is is sad yes it was sad um thank you um it was a whole emotional ordeal um but basically because there was an issue with turbulence and we're going to have to fly faster than normal because of the delays and therefore I couldn't stand up or something like that um I don't know. But anyway, I didn't get to preach on the plane. But shaky, like, 16-year-old Hannah would have been so proud of that girl who got up there and was like, I'm willing to do it because no one else is willing to do it. And they need to know Jesus loves them. Oh, no longer was I content with letting fear drive away love. I was like, these people need to know God loves them. And it wasn't my own love. I didn't know them. It was his love. And the grace just came on me and I was like, I have to do it. Um, and then the adrenaline like lifted when I didn't have to, when I slept like the rest of the flight. <laughs> I was like completely exhausted from the... <laughs> um, but it was a fun adventure. So I do recommend that. Um, Oh, gosh. Anyway, um, it was costly, though. And this is a costly life that he's calling us to. We're not, we're not designed for comfort zones. We're not designed to sit there and be content with our little bubbles. Because um, if you are, he will pop that bubble, and then you'll have to do crazy things. Um, sometimes you end up weeping with someone in an airport, which happened to me last year. Um, I was leaving my missions trip, another trip. Um, and I was, didn't have my team. And I was like, that's OK, Lord. Like, I don't, I'm off missions now. I don't have to worry. And this lady like, sat down next to me and was like, hey, do you know Jesus? And I was like, gosh. <laughs> I was like, yes, do you? <laughs> um, and we got to have a beautiful conversation. I ended up praying with her and prophesying over her, and we were both weeping. And I was like, I was just going to eat my lunch. Um, but that was costly. It was costly to like, let my heart be moved by God when I was doing something else. Or maybe it means you won't get out of the supermarket in five seconds flat. Maybe it means you'll have delays. Maybe it means you need to get somewhere with a little extra time because you never know if God's going to invite you to meet someone. You just never know. Or maybe this Christmas you'll be sitting down across the table from a family member who doesn't know the Lord and there might be a window of opportunity where you get to bring some love in. You just never know and that's the adventure of it. We're here for a reason, church. We are, he's not coming back to deliver us because he did that already. We are delivered. We are free. He loved the world so much he came down. His great rescue mission wasn't to beam us up out of here. His great rescue mission was setting us free from sin so we could live free. We don't have the problem of sin anymore. He said, it is finished. It is finished. We don't have to live in fear. His great rescue mission was to meet people where they're at. Guys, people aren't our enemies. People are our purpose. To steward this calling that we all have, we need to keep an eye on what our thoughts are telling us about evangelism and what our fear is telling us. Because it's real. It's valid. I had all the adrenaline on the plane. It's real. But our thought life matters because what are we going to combat those emotions with? Are we going to combat them with truth and love? Or are we going to combat them with fear and we're going to let fear win? When you think of evangelism, like what is your tendency? Where have you disqualified yourself? Are we in this for his life, for our life, sorry, or are we in this for his? Are we concerned with self-protection or are we concerned with God's protection? Are we motivated by the joy of obedience or because we're afraid of being punished by him?
Do we receive this perfect love and do we let it drive out fear? Are we willing to face that we might even have fear? Evangelism, evangelism is part of our calling. Someone in a documentary we watched in youth a few weeks ago said that we aren't delivered from the calling to evangelise, we are delivered through it. And I thought that was perfect because I have prayed to be delivered from the calling of evangelism. <laughs> but we're actually delivered through it. There was such a victory that I had as I sat down on my little airplane seat and I was like, oh, I never would have done that without the Lord. I mean, obviously, but, you know, like we are delivered through it. There's a breakthrough that happens as we step out in faith and as we say yes to him, even when it costs us. It's an unavoidable part of our life here on earth and we can either run from it or we can embrace it. It can truly be one of the most rewarding things that you can do is to step out because you never, ever know. And you might end up preaching on a plane. Who knows? I hope one day that I get to, kind of. <laughs> um, I want to read Psalm 23 verse 4 for you in the Passion Translation. Sorry, but it is good. Um, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deep darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and you lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. I just love this so much. Fear will not conquer me for you already have. Let's say this together. Fear will not conquer me for you already have. Yes, it's good. You remain close to me and you lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. Someone gave me a word, a prophetic word about this a few uh, months ago, actually. They said, I can see you entering into a season where you'll be more aware of the spirit of God on the inside of you than the people around you, which is extremely accurate. Um, and this word took root in my spirit and I let it grow. And now whenever I'm tempted to give in to what people around me might be thinking about me or people who are on the, on the plane, I stop and I just become aware of him on the inside of me and suddenly everything else becomes far less important. It's his love, it's not our own. Mum and I were at a footy game a few, was it a few months ago. It was definitely Collingwood playing. It was a Hawthorne, I think. Yeah, Collingwood and Hawthorne. Um, and we, when we went to book the tickets, there was no tickets basically left except for these ones that were like really high up um, in the nosebleeds, basically. Um, super high up. And we were like, that's okay. Collingwood's playing. Doesn't matter. We'll go. Um, and we booked and then we arrived and there were like empty seats everywhere. And we were like, what is this injustice? Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, it turned out to be the Lord, as it often is. Um, and it felt like a very strategic seating arrangement that we were in. Um, we were sitting down. There was this young couple behind us with the cutest little kid and we're watching them like run up and down the stairs like the whole quarter and like just having a blast um and I felt like God wanted to, me to say something to them the couple behind us um and I had this moment as we always do okay am I choosing fear or am I choosing love and I was like I'm choosing love but I don't know them so I can't use my own love I have to use his so I stopped and I sat there and I just sat there at quarter time or whatever and I just let his love for these people just open up my own heart and I was like, if I'm going to prophesy to them, I need it to be with his love and not my own because I want to lead them into a love encounter. So I felt like God wanted to tell them they were really good parents. 
So at halftime or something, I turned around and I chatted to this woman and she was a new Christian and she was so encouraged and it was beautiful. We all got emotional, <laughs> it was, as it often happens. Um, it was lovely. It was really, really sweet. Um, she was very, very blessed. And then at the end, um, they were heading off, but they ended up opening up about their family and the husband came back and he was like, hey, like, can you pray for us? We've got a sick relative and like, we really want like, we know you guys are Christians and we really want to see him healed. Like, can you be praying for us? And mum and I were like, absolutely. Absolutely, we can. Um, and we all were very emotional, but it was beautiful. The guy said, like, we felt like we were meant to sit with you today. We were like, thank God for empty seats. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was such a tender moment. And I think maybe Hawthorne won, but it was not the point of the story. <laughs> Jesus was there, sitting there, going for Collingwood probably, um, and encouraging all of us. So it was very beautiful. You just never know. You go into these situations and you think you're going for one thing and God's like, mm-hmm. I came out of this too with yet another like, layer to add to my growing revelation of this fear-crushing power of love. We can't do this thing without his heart. We actually can't. We need an awareness of who he is and who we carry. He never asks us to do this without him. Let's be more aware of who we're doing it with. Do we actually believe that we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us that loves people and is trying to get out and reach people? That the King of glory has given us his presence? Doesn't that blow your mind when you actually stop and think about it? Like, oh, are we willing to risk believing this? Okay, everyone close your eyes. We're just going to have a moment of becoming aware of the presence of God within us. If you're a believer, you have his spirit on the inside of you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let his spirit just become so loud in your body. Thank you, God. Living with this awareness, this consciousness, 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 will change everything. It's him that wants to reach his people. Okay, you can open your eyes if you want. We're not alone when you step out. You plus God is the majority in any room. It said that when Jesus um, breathed his last, he gave up his spirit. And in John 20, when he was breathing on the disciples, he said, receive the spirit. The last thing he did was give up his spirit so that we could have it. I once heard Bill Johnson say, you can't guarantee a miracle, but you can guarantee love if you love them. It's as simple as releasing who we have on the inside of us. And don't think that I've got this all figured out for a second. My heart rate still goes up in Woolworths and now on planes. Um, but I feel like I've got a tool to love well and I just wanted to release that to you guys today. It's fear or it's love and you get to pick. We can't do this apart from his heart and he never asked us to and we don't have it in us, which is good news. And it doesn't have to be an emotion or a feeling to be obedience, but it does have to be love. 
I've had my share, I'm sure all of you have too, of just like utter lovesick moments with Jesus, where it feels like my heart will explode with affection for him. And these moments are precious and powerful, and they definitely make obedience in the moment easier. But this isn't always how it goes. It's not always that physical overflow feeling, but it is an awareness of who we have. Love is not always a feeling. Love is a choice sometimes. We can still choose love even when we don't feel it because we know the truth and the truth is that he is with us and he is love. The pressure is off. The outcome is almost secondary. If we step out and we love, that's all he's asked of us. It's about pausing and it's about letting his heart overtake ours. And the delight of obedience, I'm sure you've all got stories of when you've stepped out and you just felt the delight of God. That makes everything worth it, no matter how it goes. Obedience and faith reveals who God has made us to be. He is looking for a people who are connected to his heart, who are moved by love. And we have to be connected to his heart. If we get our authority, our peace, our confidence from anything other than him, we'll die by the world's opinion. And we'll fear them and we won't fear God. We have to be a people that are deeply rooted. We have to be people with our first love alight. We have to be people who long to know his heart and long to see him move. I have the perfect surfing analogy here, um, mostly because I wanted to sneak a surfing analogy in here. Um, but I've recently realized that one of the reasons I love the ocean so much is because there's no illusion of control. Like, it's actually good for me to get whacked around by a force that's, like, much stronger than me um, and just feel surrendered and powerless for a while as I attempt to harness what's, what's coming, the momentum, and catch the waves. And we often come into the illusion that we have control, right, day to day. But in reality, we trust God with our lives through everything we do. We trust him driving to work, that we'll be safe. We trust him with our kids, with our finances, with every part of our lives. We don't actually have control, which is liberating. We just step into the flow of what he's doing and the momentum, and we trust that he'll keep us safe. And evangelism is no different. It's vulnerable and it's costly to share our first love, the one that our hearts are burning for. And we can't control the outcome, what the other person will think, feel, or experience, and this is actually okay. Sometimes we'll step out and we might feel that lingering fear or the worry of punishment, whether you perceive that from God or the ones that you're trying to reach. But he's given us his love, so let him drive that fear away. If you love people with his love, you won't fear them. All that he's asking of us is that we step into the flow of what he is doing and trust that he will carry us through with his momentum. So we have an opportunity now to respond. Um, there's some things that I touched on that I really felt the Lord breathing on, which I kind of built my whole message around. Um, and I think that these are the things that he wants to deal with today. The issue of first love, fear and self-protection, a punishment mentality in our relationship with Jesus, letting love for God translate into love for people, and the joy of our salvation. So if these relate to you, I want to encourage you to come up for prayer at the end. I feel like God wants to set you free from those things and just bring himself known to you. And I want to encourage you to take some time this week um, or even today and ask Jesus, what is he asking of you? How can you become more aware of him on the inside of you than the opinions of those around you? And how can you let your heart be moved by his this week? All right, why don't you stand and I'll pray for us.
Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we even have that ability and it's because you loved us first. God, thank you that each one of us has a story, has a testimony, has a victory, has a process. And that there's people who need to hear what that is. God, we thank you that you are our first love, that you made us, that we were in your hearts before the world even began. God, thank you that you actually invite us to step outside of ourselves where we're not comfortable, where we don't have control, and that's actually good for us. Jesus, thank you that your peace always meets us there. Whatever divine appointments you have for us in store this week and this Christmas season, God, we want to be people that choose love and don't choose fear. Thank you for sending your spirit to make that even possible. God, empower us this week. Bring us people this week who need what we have. And continue to teach us about the beauty of this calling to spread your kingdom to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.